Look, I think we should put this particular interview off for today. No, no, we're going to do it. So, why don't you bring them in while I go by and tell them? Why don't I go bring them in while you go buy a donut? Come on, you little buggers, do something exciting. The only thing they had in common was extreme emotional commitment, but there has to be a physical explanation. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to the IWMP podcast, the Intermillennium Media Project for your dose of nostalgia, media criticism, and misuse of parental authority. My name is Matthew Porter. And I'm Ian Porter. I'm his dad, he's my son, and once again, I've made him watch television. Ian Watch. Ian Critique. Ow. You're looking a little green there, Ian. Have (laughs) Have some more coffee. It's good for you. Always good for me. So, as you might have guessed, today we are going to be talking about another TV show, very important in my youth, to which I've now introduced Ian, The Incredible Hulk. Oh, boy. Now, have you heard of The Incredible Hulk before? Is that a character you're familiar with, Ian? Oh, (laughs) I can't. I can't give snarky eye gesture of the, really, over- an audio-only medium. It, but wa- it was very snarky. It was very snarky that. here. My goodness, I am I am much more of a Marvel fan than a DC fan, and yeah. I am I am perpetually surrounded by DC fans, and that has actually wound up reinforcing my my nature as the go-to person for Marvel things amongst some of these folks. So I have I have not read a lot of Hulk comics, but I have spent a long while at the wiki understanding some hulk stuff and understanding other hulk characters and the like yeah because everyone expects me to in that sense well this is uh this as i say is a tv show that i definitely watched when i was a kid and it was it was really something special at the time because it was the first thing that i knew was based on a comic book and yet was so serious only other show before this that I was really familiar with that I knew was based on a comic book character was the 1960s Batman TV series, which was just so ridiculous and so self-consciously ridiculous. When I was really little, I found that a lot of fun. By the time, you know, by by the, the mid to late 70s, I thought it was kind of goofy and it was more kid stuff. And then the Incredible Hulk comes along. And I had already read, uh, I hadn't, really didn't read that many superhero comics at that time. But I had read a bunch of Hulk for one reason or another, especially him teaming up with other superheroes. He was the character you knew in that sense. Right, right. So, So I was all over it when this TV series came on. And it was not at all what I was expecting as a, a nascent comic book fan. And yet it was terrific and I really enjoyed it. No. I'm I'm going to I'm going to bust into this part right now. This is does not feel like a comic book show. This feels like some sort of off-brand version of last week's ep- uh, last episode. It feels like Murder she wrote but <laughs> In a wrong way. There is something so very different about the pacing and the style of this show that fits more of that episodic mystery solving. 
because it really was. It was at, at least when the the TV series re- really settled into its groove. It was very much a uh, a mystery series, a detective series, and that works so well for episodic television, where you can have a separate, self-contained mystery every week, and you can give the audience as much as it needs to know about the backstory in the the little 30-second 30, uh, 30 uh, intro, that... Uh, formula they set up for the Incredible Hulk series worked great on television at the time. Dr. David Banner, physician, scientist, searching for a way to tap into the hidden strengths that all humans have. Then an accidental overdose of gamma radiation alters his body chemistry. And now when David Banner grows angry or outraged, a startling metamorphosis occurs. The creature is driven by rage. And pursued by an investigative reporter. Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. The creature is wanted for a murder he didn't commit. David Banner is believed to be dead. And he must let the world think that he is dead. Until he can find a way to control the raging spirit that dwells within him. And you're right, it was much more... It had more in common with... Murder, She Wrote, or Magnum P.I., or, well, maybe a little less Magnum, but any any detective series, more in common with those than it would with anything we'd recognize now as a, a superhero adaptation. This is The Adventures of David Banner, impromptu detective, and his... his, his un, the unexpected visits from... Lou Frigno, creative problem solver. <laughs> yeah, so it's, in some ways, I have to think about this as two different things, because when the series really did settle in, it was this detective series. But that pilot that we watched, that first two-part pilot, was really a good science fiction TV movie. That was an excellent sci-fi story. And it stood on its own. It didn't really need to have a, a TV series following it to justify its existence. You want to bring up the, the point you made when we were watching it? You paused and were so excited by a revelation. Oh, yeah. It, it's, it's not only is it a good two-hour TV movie, but if you stop it at around... There's a scene around the 30-minute to 35-minute mark that makes it a terrific little Outer Limits or Twilight Zone or a little, maybe today a Black Mirror, very much a short, be careful what you wish for kind of of story. And I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that in more detail if we talk through that pilot, because how we get to that scene at that around 30 minute mark is, is important to why I think about that that way. Well, why don't we talk through it? Because Definitely the way that one approaches its pacing and such, I think, is important to describe the rest of the show. Even if the story type is different, the pacing stays consistent across this show. Right. So I think that maybe we could do more of a play-by-play on this series. I think so. And I'm not worried about spoiling it. I mean, if, if I'm spoiling the Incredible Hulk origin story, why are you listening to this podcast? Go read a good Hulk comic book or or something. Yeah, he gets he gets bit, bitten by a radioactive big green man, and you know. 
With great muscles comes lots of shirt expenses, right? That, that, Something along those lines? Yeah, no. <laughs> that's exactly right, yes. The pilot is the origin story, as is kind of necessary in just about every uh, every comic book adaptation or superhero story. I guess the Hulk is a superhero. <sighs> I always considered Bruce Banner the superhero, and Hulk the... The method in which Bruce Banner can sometimes super, until like later stuff kind of proved me wrong on that. It, it, it really depends on the characterization, which one's the hero and which one is the the implementation. Right. And uh, you, you described Hulk as a creative problem-solving consultant. And it is interesting. There, it, He's a superhero in that he's got two very different ways of solving problems. And again, because the TV series... Mostly it's presenting mysteries. It's not the Hulk who's examining clues and figuring out the evidence and deciding who's the bad guy and how to bring them down. But they always have to throw in enough scenes where the Hulk has to do his Hulk thing. He's, he's usually the, th- the way for Bruce Banner not to get impeded in his investigation. Right, right. Now I'm imagining if, Angela, if, uh, if Jessica Fletcher had the ability to Hulk out when needed, that... I am not sure it would have changed Murder, She Wrote that much. She would be actually more directly responsible for the deaths near her (laughs) instead of arbitrarily, cosmically. (laughs) But I've I've taken us off track now. We were going to talk about that that pilot. Oh, and I'd also like to back up. I apologize. I just called him Bruce. This is not Bruce Banner. Oh, that's right. It's not Bruce Banner. It's David Banner. It's David Banner. David Bruce Banner. And I... I am not entirely sure why they changed his name for the TV series. He does take on, like, a different last name as he's trying to hide his identity going from town to town throughout the series. And I guess David is more of a uh, a, a forgettable name. And no offense to anybody who's named David. David is an awesome name. But it is a more common name than Bruce. Certainly was in the 1970s. So maybe that's why they gave him the name David. I, I just don't know. It would have been fun to see him actually be named Bruce Banner, though, and have to go through similarly alliterative uh, cover names. You know? That's true. All yeah. the cover names seem to begin with B. So he's he's not David Banner, he's David Blake, or David Barton, or he's introducing himself as something else. So why not Bruce Blake or Bruce Barton? Yeah, I mean, and that that would give this intriguing, like, order and countdown of the you're gonna run out of letters. I mean, the moment, the moment you're, you know, Jacob Giuseppe, it's like, uh, you're starting, you're going down the list, and you'd eventually run out, and you'd have that kind of odd ticking clock to the entire series. <laughs> he's just there in the library trying to look up other fake names to go by, because he's got to keep it this way now. I guess it's easier to remember to, uh, what name to respond to if he keeps calling himself David. It probably, yeah. But this origin story in the in the pilot, it really it is presented as this personally driven scientist on a quest. In that we get a, a long, long sequence at the beginning about how incredibly happily married David Banner was, and the horrible car accident in which his wife was uh, was killed. I know it's supposed to be dramatic and heart-wrenching. That entire scene was a little too drawn out and a little too cheesy. 
the, yeah, the pacing throughout this entire thing is, it is very 70s. They take a long time to say very little sometimes. You, you, they keep going well after you've gotten the point. These people are very much in love. They are soulmates. They are made for one another. And the loss of one is a terrible, terrible thing for the other. We got that much sooner than they decided to stop telling us that. Oh, yeah. They're getting into the car. They're smiling at each other. They're putting the picnic in the... Meanwhile, there's just, like, death flags piling up in the back seat. (laughs) Nope, nope, nope. She's goner. Sorry, dude. You're the main character, but she's gone. It's just... Stop now. You're making it worse. (laughs) And um, they're, they're very strong music cues in this series. So there is the happy music. There is the wistful happy music. There is the sad, lonely music, which we get a lot of, especially at the end. A lot of that stuff. So, yeah, this is a lot, a lot of soft focus, happy times with the wistful, happy music. Lots of lilting piano, which, which just makes me imagine if Hulk is the one playing those. <laughs> just Hulk in the suit jacket with a very, very large keyed piano, just <laughs> gently playing these tunes at the end of every episode. I like that idea. Yeah, who who says that you know, super strength is the only additional ability the Hulk brings with him? Maybe he's got an awesome uh, musical taste and great chops on the piano. Hulk have perfect pitch. <laughs> Puny human ears cannot detect these nuances of Hulk. So David Banner is um, he's bereft because of the loss of his, his beloved wife, and he is a research physician and biokineticist. I don't think he's a neurologist. He's super smart guy with lots of uh, education in uh, biomedicine. Mm-hmm. And he is heading this research project about trying to identify why, in, under certain conditions, some people have been able to exhibit superhuman strength. Why, and he, they're interviewing people who have um, experienced this, you know, why a uh, 110 pound woman was able to lift a car off of her son after a car accident almost the same exact kind of thing that uh, that banner went through and banner tried and of course couldn't budge the car that his wife was pinned under but this 110 pound woman could and all these examples that they have compiled of instances when people were able to do this and he's trying to figure out why and he makes it explicit not only does why can and how can people do this why them and not me it is very much that heroic scientist, but with a, a twinge more self-motivation than you see in some other stories. There's plenty of instances of this scientist plowing forward for the greater good, possibly without thinking of the consequences, possibly as the the savior that everyone should look to in terms of how to live your life. Opinion of that shifted. But there was, there's a lot more... Because, dang it, why couldn't I do it? Right. Upset. And and plenty it's... of interesting and excellent instances of, of Banner being angry. They do a lot of good stuff with letting him be angry and upset before that is a problem for him. Right. It, it's, it's, to coin a phrase, he's always angry. There's this undercurrent of anger and frustration throughout everything he does since his wife died. And it's, it's what's fueling this research project. It is, it is very personal. It's kind of, in some ways, you can see it as a sideways Doctor Strange kind of thing. There's this tragic event, and he's dedicating, in this case, 
everything he's already trained for to help solve this problem it, it raises. And they, they take their time putting all this together, and it makes it a very compelling kind of medical, scientific, sci-fi mystery in that why, why we start to really care about this question. Why can some people do this? And he couldn't. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they have some interesting fun with, the, with making it both paced and measured science and making him the sort of guy to sit there staring at notes, drinking late into the <laughs> night enough to, that when he does have a breakthrough, he will go and use the very conveniently self-timered devices on himself just to force on to the next part of testing to prove this theory right. he thought up just like 20 minutes ago. Yeah, not and, a lot. And chemically assisted. <laughs> not a lot of patience with this guy. Not a lot of patience with him. But to give full credit to how well this is built up. And again, you know, this is not, I, I, I don't want to say what it's not. This is a TV movie. It's a good TV movie, and that goes into the production values, how much time they had to make it, everything else. But uh, Bill Bixby as David Bruce Banner does an amazing job. He is a good actor, and he manages to sell this in a way that a lot of actors could not. And he's backed up in this pilot by uh, Susan Sullivan, who also I think is terrific because she is playing another research scientist. And the fact that she doesn't think that he's completely crazy all the time gives us a little more respect for his scientific approach mm -hmm. up until he decides to go weird with the, the, the radiation devices. And they have great back and forth chemistry. They have to be able to play off of each other because he needs to be a character who is angry enough he could throw a mug against a wall. And, in, and you feel invested with him and his frustration instead of seeing it as a tantrum. And she has to be able to play off as a person who can calm him down and be both frustrated alongside him and upset that he's not staying calm enough to think this through. All in one little bit, all in this kind of back and forth in a room. And they do a great job of that. Yeah, the, t the two of them. There's a lot of supporting performances that are not nearly as strong. The fact that the two of them play so well together and play these parts together so well uh, really elevates this as a TV movie. And, and they also establish very early on, even before the actors say, which, which they eventually do, that he admires and respects her as a scientific colleague. She is in love with him, but can't tell him, and he's not available for that right now anyway, with everything he's been through. But that is also lends this, this substance to these roles and uh, how, how they play them. If anything, the fact that they give so much time to this setup, I almost am worried was not enough, or it was too much for, or they didn't give enough for when things actually start happening because yeah. of that, because that, that pacing issue and such, I felt let down Yeah, when, when the rest of the story started kicking in, because they did this opening bit so well yeah that's true there are the second half of this is kind of rushed isn't it mm -hmm. seems like they try to do a whole lot in a little bit of time once they get past the very meticulous setup and one and and the turning point is that throughout this research 
they or banner recognizes well they they recognize two factors one is everybody who was able to exhibit this superhuman strength had a particular dna variation mm-hmm. and that he thinks at first well all oh, that explains it that's why i couldn't do it they had this special dna variation and then at at his colleague's suggestion said well we don't know that you don't have it they test him and He's got the same weird DNA variation. He's got a lot of whatever this extra thing is. Yeah. He's, he's on the high part of the trend that they've seen. So now it's even more angering him. Right. So he, he thought he had, the, he had the answer and he didn't. And then something something he, he hears makes him think sunspots, radiation. It's ridiculous, but let's check it anyway. And it turns out that, yeah, every one of these events where someone exhibited this superhuman strength took place at a point where solar activity was creating peak levels of gamma radiation. So that must be it. It's the weird DNA plus gamma rays equals the ability to use superhuman strength. And of course, this is what leads him to the the gamma test and setting up the, the device that they already had that could do gamma rays. I was a little surprised as to what this radiology device was they had. Yeah, it was it was conveniently designed in order to shoot gamma rays into your head. It's like, okay, that's okay. that's a pretty specialized piece of equipment, but all right. They did also do a good job of having I don't think we ever see him, but mentioning like the tech guy in the background who's going in and just upgrading all the devices. So he keeps on like taping over stuff because he's added a couple of zeros to what this thing can do on yeah. all of their stuff. So here's this this device, and it's got tape over the top, and he doesn't think about it because it's not written on, but it's been upgraded, so it does, like, tons more than it's supposed to. Right, and I, I think this is this guy um, uh, was originally the, uh, the app technician for Spinal Tap. He keeps <laughs> making things go to 11. He's got the... Um, and, and they did set that up a little bit. They had some other... Div- other I think it was like the the scanning electron microscope. He had tweaked it so that it had you know, even more magnification power, and there was a little paper label where he'd written what the new power was. And he, yeah, as you say, the, um, the 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 gamma ray shooter had a little paper uh, label taped at the high end of the the knob, but nothing was written on it. So he just assumed, oh yeah, it's boosted a little bit, like the like the uh, microscope had been, so he turns it all the way up to that unmarked spot before shooting himself in the head with gamma rays. Next episode of Undercover Boss, Tony Stark goes, like, okay, <laughs> we've got a thing going on here. This is... That was a good way for them to hand wave why you can't then start churning out multiple hulks. Right, yeah. Because things get kind of fried, and you have to have this mix, plus no one knows exactly how much he actually dosed himself with. So we'd have to trial and error a bunch of people to figure out the dosage to create a second one. So this is why you're you're unique in this case now. Right. But at first, it doesn't seem like anything happened. He, he shoots himself in the head with gamma rays. He, oh, he tried to pick up something heavy before he does this. He shoots himself with the gamma rays. He still can't pick up the heavy thing. He's disappointed. Obviously, this is another dead end. So I'm going to go home, and it's a horrible rainstorm outside. And then he gets a flat, and he can't change the tire, and that's when this awesome scene is, where he hulk, he hulks out. He's just, he gets finally so angry about the fact that he can't change this tire, he cuts himself with a 
the tire iron or something, and then we see him Hulk out. And the Hulk out process in this uh, series starts with the eyes. So they, they, they stop, and Bill Bixby puts in green contact lenses, and you see his eyes go green. Mm-hmm. They put in white contacts, and I thought they just add green after. Oh, that may be. That may be. But yeah, it's all in the eyes. It's all centered on the head, which works for when it's a story in which the gamma rays were focused there. Right. And it, it starts in the mind in that sense. And he then just turns into the Hulk, the giant green guy, played by Lou Ferrigno, who's a, a champion bodybuilder. Absolutely. I think they underutilized their Ferrigno. Yeah, they, they use Ferrigno more in, later in the series, but you're right. They use him sparingly, I would say. And I think that's good, certainly for this movie. You don't want to overuse him and make it look... It becomes too mundane and cartoonish, you've, cartoonish if you use him too much, I think. The fact that you're so far into this before you even see the Hulk, I thought, is one of its strengths. Yeah. That, absolutely. I'm more in her, saying in terms of the fact that Ferrigno is a very... has some good acting chops. He's very expressive, yeah. They, I don't feel like the directors knew what to do with him once he was in costume. Yeah, I think he you're get, right. Think... He gets a lot of, like, toss this, toss that kind of direction, and you see him following through on it, but there's not the... He doesn't get the opportunity to be as exuberant as I want him to be. Mm-hmm. I want him to get... to be able to stay angry acting. But he winds up just kind of looking confused more. And I, I, I don't, I know it's not him because I've seen him in other stuff as cameo bits and he's always great. So I am assuming it's, it's a directing and the, what do we do with this guy once we painted him green kind of problem. And what, there's one episode that I remember when, from when I was a kid that we haven't watched, you and me, but it features Lou Ferrigno in a different role. Ooh. And he's like this regular guy who works in a sandwich shop and he does bodybuilding and weight training. But you get a chance to see Lou Ferrigno playing a part in The Incredible Hulk other than the monster. So that was pretty cool. And yeah, he's, he, is, he is a very expressive actor. Oh yeah, he does well with what he's got. I just wish he was given more because he could do well with that too. <laughs> right. And that point, that, that first Hulk out, in the storm, trying to change the tire, he turns into the Hulk, smashes his, the, uh, the car with his fists and throws it down the side of a hill, and then stomps off into the rain. It could end could, right there. Yes, you could end the movie there. And it would be this weird outer limits, be careful what you wish for. Okay, you wanted to be able to call upon super, superhuman strength? Here you are. Because if you don't know the story of the Hulk, and you get to that scene, there is absolutely no reason to believe this change is not permanent. Yeah, you're right. He has turned into a monster. The monster walks away. And he's now a monster. The, yeah, there is no... There is nothing to inform you otherwise. This is all we get. And that has a whole other power and weight to it than right. the stories they do decide to tell. Did it was, a, was it this Faustian exchange where he gave up everything else he was for the super strength he wished he had? Whoa. So I guess we can end here. That's our review of yeah, that's the 35-minute uh, film about uh, David Bruce Banner. Check out our Twitter and our Discord. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it, of course, it doesn't end there. 
but 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 it could. No, yeah. This is also a superhero origin story where the where the hero, after kind of getting their bearings after from after the transformation, actually goes and gets assistance. Actually goes to go do something about it. That's right. Yeah. He. Um, well, first there is the the trope that you see over and over again in this series: Hulk interacting with normal people, trying not to hurt anybody, often being misunderstood. Oh yeah, he. He scares a little girl out to the water because when they're camping, and he knocks over a tree to help sa- try to save her. Yeah, she she r- tries to rush away across the lake in a canoe, and she's so flustered the canoe tips over and she can't swim. He's trying to he uproots a tree to try to to reach her, but of course she thinks he's attacking her, so he she tries to get away farther. And and then her father shoots him in the shoulder with a rifle. Yes, shoots him in the shoulder. And somehow the wound migrates to his bicep after he turns back into uh, Banner, which he does. Yeah. And there is the, like, grabs gun, smash gun, yeah. throw gun to the side, throw you into the water, out of here. Yeah, Hulk doesn't do a lot of punching people, possibly because one punch would be deadly. But Hulk does a lot of picking people up and throwing them. If he's a bad guy, he'll throw them into something hard. If he's a, not a bad guy, he'll throw them into water or something. Yeah, it, it's much. It, this is less a Hulk smash and more of a Hulk judo and incapacitate. <laughs> Hulk no aikido. Hulk grapple. Yes. Hajime. <laughs> so yeah, he does. He goes to to um uh, to his colleague tries to explain to her what happened. He has no memory of what happened during the period when he was the the Hulk. She is excellently flustered and playing it as such, as he, like, stumbles in with a ripped shirt, drinks all of her orange juice, and she notices he's been shot in the arm. And again, uh, it's played well and is written well, as in, you know, she is a, A, a scientist, B, somebody who cares about him, wants to collect information, and then make a plan. And they use an under... This is designed for, uh, like, pressure testing? Right. They they put Banner into this giant chamber designed for, for some kind of high-pressure testing. But the idea is it's maybe strong enough to contain the Hulk. And then they try to reproduce the conditions that caused the Hulk out. Because he didn't know, okay, what was it that triggered it? Which is like, like uh, let's open up the electrical panel and smash a water main. It's like... What sort of mad <laughs> right. science are you doing? I'm going to stand in a metal box and make sure I get electrocuted. Really? Take that <laughs> control group process. What? <laughs> but eventually it works, and he hulks out. And, of course, this giant chamber does not keep him in, and he breaks out again. We do get excellent um, log-taking, though, as she dramatically narrates and color commentates everything we're watching happen. Oh yeah, that is great. Take very meticulous uh, uh, audio notes as, as this is all happening. Usually, in this sort of situation, there's just terrified screaming and such from our our, our female characters. Unfortunately, no, she's there. Like, I'm gonna get closer. Here yeah. is like detailed ratio, of, like how big he looks to be, how thick is the stuff he's punching through. Right. She is an excellent scientist in that she she knows what data to collect and and keeps her head about doing it. She's a better scientist than Banner is in a lot of ways because he's always distracted by the personal absolutely she is a she's the person who makes that scene fascinating without the audio i do not think that the 
the Hulk out in the chamber would be the same. Oh, it wouldn't. There's something about the the terrifying action coupled with the very clinical keeping it under control description. It's like something out of the, the better scenes in the Alien movies, where you've got that juxtaposition, where you've got one person on the radio talking very calmly and somebody else dealing with this terrifying thing. In this, it's her doing both. But that combination really makes that a great scene. And then he breaks out and runs away. And I believe it's it's when he like wanders back. Is that when we then get the reporter? Yeah, there's a reporter who, um, a reporter for a, uh, well, I want to say National Enquirer. The National Enquirer has turned into something very different these days. Back then, the National Enquirer or and magazines like it, newspapers like it, were less political by far and more UFOs and Bigfoot and psychics kind of thing. So he's working for that kind of newspaper, and he hears reports of this monster uh, somewhere, you know, in California. And he comes looking for it and starts to track it down to something going on around this laboratory. He's got like castings of its of the footprints. That's right. Yeah. And it is kind of a Sasquatch sort of thing in terms of the way people are thinking about it and, and showing the giant footprints and all that. Mm hmm. And he sneaks in to find out if they know something more and spills flammable chemicals. Right in their, in their in their lab while confronting them, which gets everyone blown up. So the lab blows up, and this reporter sees this giant green monster carrying away the the woman scientist, and thinks that well the monster is responsible for all of this, and that's how he reports it. And there's no sign of Doctor Banner, so he must be gone. Meanwhile. Dr. Banner gets so mad seeing his friend who, I think, had she confessed right then? Or like, no, it no. was later. I, he, like, it was after uh, Hulk carried her to relative safety, but she was already mortally wounded. Oh, it was dying. She finally confesses his love for, oh, for Dr. Banner. Yeah, and it's, you know, he carries her to safety after seeing her, after being angry and upset to seeing her get hurt. It, it's this, it's this I'm, I'm going to do the heartfelt thing, and immediately... The the guy who is, has actually caused the problem blames me. Yep. So the the pilot ends with she being dead, Banner being gone and presumed dead, and presumed that his remains were destroyed in the giant explosion, and the reporter being certain that the big green monster is responsible for the deaths and wanting to get the story about what this green monster is and where it is and where it came from. And that's kind of our setup. That's that's where the, all the pieces are, and how it and kind of what the board resets to after each other episode. Then, right. So the rest of the series is David Banner wandering from town to town, usually in pursuit of some lead about something that might help reverse this process and get rid of this this demon inside him uh, that turns him into the Hulk. Because his his colleague suggested there was some kind of X-ray therapy, because like apparently X-rays erase gamma rays or something. But if you can get the right kind of X-ray therapy, that should be able to reverse it. So we see him looking for some hospital that had just had installed this super multi-band radiological device that he wanted to try. Because nothing can fix radiation like more radiation. <laughs> I, 
between that and having seen like Godzilla stuff recently and the like, I, I've got to like sit down with the with the mic at some point and do an entire talk about like all the different weird interpretations of radiation I've seen in media recently. There is a lot to to pick apart there in terms of how people approach this and what it actually is and <laughs> how they use it in shows. So the rest of the series, I think I've got the uh, the formula sketched out here. The rest of the series is um, David Banner goes to some new place, find a Bond woman who falls in love with him, <laughs> uh, find a mystery to solve, identify the bad guys in the mystery, stand around while the bad guys in the mystery attack him uh, so that he can hulk out and throw them into various objects or bodies of water. And then sometimes attempt some kind of therapy that he was going to town for anyway to see if uh, it'll fix his hulkness, and it never really does. So that's, yeah, pretty much every episode that I can recall fits that formula. Yeah, we, we, we didn't watch much more, but we skimmed through a couple. We sped through a few on Fast Forward, and yeah, that's actually pretty much what we saw yeah. every time. Now, the second one we watched was actually the, the third and fourth episodes of the, the first season. It was another two-parter, like the pilot. Uh, I don't know if they did too many. I don't know why they started out with two two-parters, but don't know if they did too many more. But yeah, it was that exact formula. He winds up seeing somebody who needs help helping her, and it turns out that she's the victim of some plot to poison her so that somebody else can control their family, fortune, and company. But he immediately recognizes what's happening because of his medical training, but of course he can't say, oh, I'm a doctor. Because then he would have to give his real name or people would be able to track him down. He'd just say, well, I know a little bit. Sometimes he says, claims that he was in a you know, medical corps in the, the army. Sometimes he claims he went to medical school for a year. But he never comes out and says, yeah, I'm Dr. David Benner. You know, the dead guy. <laughs> right. I, one of the things that they don't always run into is the fact that he will Hulk out. And this version of the Hulk keeps, what, keeps his genes. But always tears his shirt. Yeah, they made... And loses his shoes. <laughs> really stretchy jeans in the 70s, didn't they? Really stretchy jeans in the 70s. But I'm always fascinated by the fact that he always finds a replacement set of shirt and shoes everywhere he goes. There's not a lot of times where David Banner is stuck in post-Hulk Banner mode in that sense. Not too long. I mean, he was for a while in that second storyline. Which, yeah, they made it two parts. It, it could have been one one episode, but they expanded it. But yeah, he winds up hanging around in the, the shredded shirt for a while. But that one was weird because he winds up meeting this guy, this, this guy who drinks all day and night and lives in a little shack outside of town. And this guy is wearing like a filthy flannel shirt and it's, it's, the stuff he's got is 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 terrible. But Banner shows up. Well, first of all, the Hulk shows up. So you get the, you know, monster interacting with the drunk guy trope. Which is always the, fun. The drunk guy wondering, am I seeing you instead of pink elephants or whatever? And then... We learn, we learn Hulk doesn't like alcohol then. That's right. He, he gives the Hulk, uh, he gives the Hulk a, 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 a chicken drumstick. The Hulk eats it in one bite, uh, you know, bones and all. He gives the Hulk a taste of his whiskey, and the Hulk does not like that, spits it out, and, and runs away. Spits it out into the fire, which yeah. gives a good escape route. But like, Hulk as teetotaler. And a few seconds later, David Banner wanders into this camp, wearing nothing but the same jeans the Hulk was wearing, 
and the guy doesn't really put two and two together here, but he offers Banner new clothes. And despite what he's wearing himself, the stuff that he gives Banner looks like it just came off the shelf from uh, uh, The Gap. Yeah. This crisp blue shirt and sneakers, and, you know, pure white sneakers. And it's like, where did, where did this come from? And why are you wearing what you're wearing if you've got this? And, and that's like the first out of two or three times this guy gives him pristine, brand new, retail-ready clothes. He goes back three times to this guy. <laughs> yeah, I've been, I've been living in this shack ever since my... My garment industry failed on me. <laughs> I used to run a successful mini mall. It's like, what? Why? Why are you here then? <laughs> no, nope, nobody out here, just me and my three sales associates. <laughs> Need some back to school gear? And they do pad out that episode a bit to make it the two. And we, I, there is a rapid Hulk cycling in that the, the, the last act, the last major dramatic act, the Hulk having to get this woman who can't walk seven miles across forest and swamp to a ranger station to protect her from the people who are trying to kill her. And he hooks three times in that. Right. And it's it's like they're they're crossing a river and suddenly there's a bear. Like, where did this <laughs> bear come from? I didn't know bears hibernate underwater and suddenly emerge when they're disturbed. So he he's like First of all, this bear seems to do a whole lot of damage to David Banner before he hulks out. So how Banner survived long enough to become the Hulk, I don't know. But eventually he does, and then we get a few bits of uh, Hulk versus bear. Hulk out, pursued by bear. It is just... that That is just like... Nothing... It feels almost like a jump cut. There's nothing, right. nothing, 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 bear. Okay, <laughs> yeah. what... So we get, uh, I've got the scorecard here. We have uh, Hulk versus Bear. Hulk wins. Then we get Hulk versus Snake. Hulk wins. <laughs> At, not until after the snake gets to bite the, the helpful inebriant. But Hulk, I think, throws that snake into orbit. So yeah, Hulk versus Bear. Hulk wins. Hulk versus Snake. Hulk wins. Hulk versus Quicksand. Quicksand wins. Yes. The only reason why the Hulk uh, survived to create the rest of the series is that um, the uh, the woman he was s- saving manages to get a, a tree branch to him, and he can pull himself out. The the rapid Hulk cycling does do an excellent job of desensitizing her to Hulk very quickly. Yes, she is oh, yeah. she, like by the th- by the second transformation, she's just like hitting him in the shin. No, 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 get back, step back. It's like I'm sorry, there are villains of the marvel universe who would not dare hit hulk in the (laughs) shin with a stick and here's this lady who can't use her legs right now who has just immediately gone to nope nope (laughs) stick to the shins back up well when we when when she first sees him as the hulk it's when he's rushed back to her house to to warn her about the people who are trying to kill her and she thinks that and this is just banner and she thinks banner is attacking and she starts like hitting him in the head with a water pitcher and it's not that he was angry at her it's just that like stop hitting me <laughs> so he Please turns stop. into the hulk she like gets a couple of good really good wax on him <laughs> he she hits then he hulks out and also that's like one of the best problem solving hulk scenes we get as the hulk like smashes a door frame Pull, takes her carefully out of the bed and then shoves the bed up against the wall to brace said now broken door. Right. It's like, yeah. Hulk, you knew physics. Yeah. Go you. Hulk good at escape rooms. 
Well, I guess he would be good at escape rooms. There's a wall. Break it. <laughs> I have escaped. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he carries her off into the uh, into the swamp at that point. And then he turns back into Banner, and then the bear comes and he turns back into the Hulk, and then the snake comes and he turns back to the Hulk again. It's it's uh, um, it's useful. I'm not sure why we needed the 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 Hulk's Wild Kingdom sequence, but <laughs> we got it. I kind of want that snake to come back. If he did throw it that hard, just like a couple episodes later, he's in a bad situation. We think he's going to go out. And the snake just lands on whoever it is he's dealing with. <laughs> Takes that long for it to come back. Yep. So I think that, that gave you a sense of kind of what the formula is. Banner wa- wanders from, from town to town, <coughs> trying to find a way to solve his problems while getting involved in other people's problems. It's, you know, it's, it's a, a formula you see in TV a lot, whether it's touched by an angel or the Incredible Hulk. Touched by the Hulk. (laughs) Touched by the Hulk. (laughs) Oh, we've created a name now. Yep. (laughs) And we watched part of another one in which, just because I I wanted to uh, to take another look at the scenes of the Hulk rampaging through New York City. But it was like uh, the Times Square terror. And the Hulk getting involved in protecting somebody from, or helping somebody get out from under a small-time protection racket in New York City. Because, of course, he's come into town to find some information from some research hospital or something. And uh, there's the the blonde who he meets and who falls in love with him. And she is the daughter of somebody who runs a pinball arcade who's being pressured to pay protection money and such. But we do get scenes in that of the Hulk running around Times Square and tearing apart newspaper kiosks and all kinds of stuff. I think they wanted to shoot those scenes so they built a story around it i i absolutely agree in some ways lou frigno bodybuilder big guy impressive not hulk enough in my opinion (laughs) especially when you're putting him again when you're putting him against a couple of people you can kind of see it when it's a crowd parting to let the hulk run through he needs to be bigger that's right you're yeah you can't green screen the Hulk. No. You can't green screen the Hulk, but you can teal screen the Hulk. <laughs> and you can do a few more, I mean, Ernie Kovacs style, put some string on some stuff and yank it with a bunch of guys pulling off to the side and then let your Hulk actor composite in a little. And you could do some rough composite there. And they, they didn't go that far with the VFX, but they could have sold the scale of Hulk better because when it's just him running around in Times Square, he's not big enough. You're right. And and part of that, I think, is the time and money they had when they were making this. But it's also New York City, not a great environment for given those limitations. When he's running around the forest, you can you you don't have so much scale reference that you can't just have a lot of low angle shots. And he looks enormous. But like you say, when he's running through a crowd in New York, you kind of see the other people around him. You see the mailboxes next to him. You have a pretty good idea of what his scale is. There's so many references. And he's, well, I mean, he's, he's a Luferigno-sized human. He is a really big, muscular guy, but he's clearly a human being. Maybe, maybe it's just the pride of where I live, but I could see him running across Table Mountain. I could see him running along the... The trails in the hogback. Yes, here, yeah. al- and 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 be able to give a better sense of of gigantic scale to him without problem. 
And I could even see him run around Denver and do some some quote unquote damage and be impressively sized just because you could put him on the edge of Denver. You could give him a little <laughs> bit you, you don't put you don't put him on the sixteenth street mall. You can put him out towards the edge a little and you get city in the background, but enough mountains and fun with perspective to make him big enough. And you don't shoot him from these high crane angles they were using in New York, which, if anything, just made him look a little smaller. You shoot him from these great low angle shots yeah, that you, make him look huge. Strap strap your camera onto a small RC car and drive <laughs> it up towards his feet. Right. Boom, you've got a thing. Let's put the camera on yeah. the ground and aim it up. So, um, So we could watch a lot more of the Hulk, but I'm not sure you would see a whole lot that's very different. Because I think you've got a pretty good idea of what the series is like at this point. I'm just imagining one of those like multi-screen walls, and you just play them simultaneously. <laughs> but can you like synchronize them so the point where the first point in the episode where he turns into the Hulk is syn- synchronized with him, and see how the pacing lines up across all of them? Does he turn into the Hulk at about the same minute mark in every episode? Oh, that's interesting. I wonder because that that would say whether or not it's. It's structurally formulaic in terms of writing, or is it, like, that formulaic in terms of time? Right. It's a good question. Does this mean we're leading into our final final questions here? I think it does. I think we've seen enough to, uh, to make some judgments about that. So, of course, this being a TV series, the first question is, binge or no binge? No binge. I'm saying no binge. This was fun. I enjoyed it. It's not a no binge out of no, don't do it. It's bad. And it, it, you could watch an episode, but you're not going to get anything from watching a bunch of it. it I don't feel that need. I, I agree. It's not, it's not kind of comfort viewing the way Murder, She Wrote is. It doesn't reward every single episode's viewing like, well, almost every episode's viewing like Columbo does. If our description of the pilot sounds interesting to you, Absolutely. Watch the pilot. It's a good science fiction TV movie. Don't binge the series. There's not enough value there. The fact that the uh, the rest of the series is more close to those other shows you referenced, you could kind of do a fun roulette thing where you put like a couple episodes of like Murder, She Wrote and a couple of Columbo's and like one episode of The Incredible Hulk (laughs) and then just like pull a number randomizer and see which one you wind up with. You know it's going to be a type of show, but you might wind up with Hulk on this one. Oh, I just thought of a great game. A description of the plot of a mix-up descriptions of Murder, She Wrote episodes, Incredible Hulk episodes, maybe Columbo episodes, although there's the Columbo formula, a different format. Mm-hmm. A, a, couple- few, a few different mystery series, including the Incredible Hulk, and you try to figure out, okay, which series is this from? Oh yeah, if you could if if you could find a group that's rewritten well enough where they they don't say the main characters' names. Yep. Yeah. Murder she wrote Rockford Files. Rock, the Hulk. Yeah. Those would be like put all those and see if you can play that game. <laughs> I like that. So yeah, it sounds like we're agreed on no binge. Mm-hmm. It's it can be fun, but it's not worth binging this series. So then the question is to reboot, revive, or let it rest in peace. Is this Especially with all the other stuff Marvel's doing right now. That's it, yeah. Does, it this, does this come back? What do we think? Well, I don't know if you, we could, you'd want to revive at this point. I don't know that you'd want to start making new stories in the same continuity as the Incredible Hulk TV series. They did 
follow the series with some TV movies. Some of which I'm going to have to show you for very specific reasons. I think I know about these ones. Do you? I think so. More because the the still frames from the from the internet of these. This is one of those I've I've heard of this through cultural osmosis. So you've seen Thor, yeah, and I think Captain America, yeah, yeah, especially that Captain America. That version of Captain America is oh boy, yeah. This is not the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is the Marvel low budget TV movie universe, I guess. The the, the Marvel polystyrene universe. <laughs> So I, I can't say um, I can't say revive for these. Nah, reboot. I mean, it's been done. I mean, we've had two different feature films reintroducing the the Hulk. Absolutely. But here's the question: if if it was to be rebooted, we're talking about rebooting this series. We're talking about rebooting a a mystery solving Bruce Banner, whose whose Hulk is a an unwanted leverage tool for his detective work story. That is that's a, the sort of story this is. That's what we'd be rebooting. That's very, very true. We're, we're not just talking about another Incredible Hulk story, another adaptation of the comic book character. It's, do we want to reboot this TV series, The Incredible Hulk? Yeah. And all of its formula and, and, and such. Wow, that would be kind of cool, wouldn't it? Oh, see, I'm going to say rest in peace. I'm going to say that I, 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 I enjoy this, but there's other stuff doing that sort of, of mystery, and I don't need that to be Hulk. I would enjoy it if it did, but yeah. I'm going to say rest in peace, but I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm not sure what you're going to go for. I, I was all set to say rest in peace just because we don't need more Hulk. We've got some good stuff already. But now that you've you've made me think specifically about the way this TV series is put together, I am going to say reboot just to get that out into the universe, because I would love to see somebody who's really loved this series and really has a vision for what to do with it, create an episodic mystery slash problem solving series that happens to feature a guy who turns into the Incredible Hulk as its protagonist. That would be pretty cool. It, it would be. I'm, I'm split. I'm gonna. I'm saying the rest in peace. Just, to, but I'm. I'm. I cannot. I can completely be as excited with you. Yeah. At the concept. Okay. So we sounds like we agree on no binge, but we're divided in that. You say rest in peace, and I say oh, reboot this thing. Yeah. I think so. Okay. Well, that's our verdict for the uh, the Incredible Hulk. If you do want to watch The Incredible Hulk, it's avail- I'll check to see if it's available on DVD or Blu-ray. It is available on the Tubi uh, website and app. That's T-U-B-I. Uh, I'll include links to places where you can find this. And speaking of links, Ian, and finding things, where can people find you? I'm in most places as itemcrafting, be that Twitter at, at itemcrafting or itemcrafting.com. And you can reach me uh, uh, at Porter on Twitter or at MatthewFPorter.com on the web. Uh, there are two T's in Matthew. You can reach the uh, the podcast itself. You can reach us at immproject.com, and you'll find all of our back episodes there, as well as links to contact us, uh, links for, for shopping for T-shirts and other things we might have. And uh, you can also find us on Twitter at IMMPCast. And don't forget to be able, you can support the podcast itself on Patreon. 
And uh, you can join us on our Discord to be able to chat with us about the shows that we've watched, the shows that my dad is planning on subjecting me to, or subjecting the world to, <laughs> if, if there are some of the more obscure ones. And, you know, chat with us about what we've seen and what your thoughts are into this. Did, did, our, did our opinions about The Incredible Hulk make you mad? Do you want us, do you want us to know what you're like when you're angry? <laughs> come to the discord and chat with us about that then and i i've been remiss i don't know that i've put a link to the discord on the website yet but uh, i will do that in the meantime if you don't see that go ahead and hit us up on twitter over the contact page and we'll get you the uh the info you need but yeah we'd love to hear from you yeah so uh that's all for now we'll be back in a couple of weeks with some other um uh, item that i have subjected uh, uh ian to <laughs> Uh, and uh, we'll t- we'll see you then. And until next time, go find something new to watch. <laughs>